right. Can you hear me? Can you Hello? hear me? Yeah, can you hear me? Uh, that's odd. Um, I can't hear you right now, man. Okay. Uh, shit. Let's see if you... Okay, can you hear me now? Yeah, it's better. Okay, cool. Um, it's gonna be an audio interview, so you don't have to use your uh your uh webcam if you don't want to. Alright, cool. Um I don't even know how to turn that off, man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can leave it on. Cause I mean is I just need to make let me make sure my okay, you're good. Yeah, let me make sure my recorder is going. You doing alright tonight? Yeah, man. I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I'm tired as shit, ready to go to bed, but <laughs> we're going to make this interview pop. All right. How long, how long do you want to do it? Oh, um, no. We're just going to go ahead and finish it. Like, we're just going to... Um, I sent you the questions. We're going to go through all of them. <laughs> so, I'm yep. good. Um, Where are you located again? I'm in Tennessee. Tennessee? Yeah. Got a question. All right, so um, I'm gonna do a brief intro, um, and then we'll just get into it from that. Do you want Do you want me to call you Todd Millionaire, or do you want to go by Charles? You know, um, so every time I talk to somebody, they ask me that question, and um, we can just go we can just go by Charles. Okay. Um, it it kind of helps to kind of say both Charles and Todd Millionaire. Okay. But yeah. As Charles throughout the conversation. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, no, that's that's what I have in the notes because um, I I got a question about you going through how you made Top Millionaire. So that's perfect. All right, cool. So yeah, I'll do a brief intro and then uh, we'll just get into the interview from there. And then after that, um, we'll just uh, we'll do like a quick wrap up after that. <coughs> Excuse me. We'll do a quick wrap up after that, and that'll be pretty much it. So your episode, um. You're either going to be 12 or 11, so it's going to drop within the next two to four weeks. So, Amber's episode is nine. I'm so low on 10. Yeah, so you're going to either be 11 or 12, so so this episode is going to be between like three or four weeks before it actually comes out. Sounds good. All right. All right. Uh, Can you hear me okay on your side? Yeah, I'm good. All right, cool. All right, ready? Today's guest is coming to us from the West Coast. He is a JD turned financial mastermind and fellow label mate on the Greatness Podcast Network. He's the creator of Todd Capital, a black owned investment company that empowers its clients and members to take on unprecedented levels of prosperity through crowdfunding. He is also the creator of Todd University, the best financial and business school on the internet. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my pleasure to welcome to the Segregationist Papers podcast, Mr. Charles Oglesby, a.k.a. Todd Millionaire. How you doing tonight, Charles? Man, I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We're glad to have you on the show. So to get into the interview, 
tell us a little bit about your background, uh, born and raised, uh, school you went to, and what you got going on right now. Cool, cool. So um, I was actually born in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm a product of a military family. My father was in the Navy, and uh, he actually met my mom in San Diego, and he took her back to Atlanta, Georgia, and that's where they had uh, my sister and I. And uh, we didn't stay there too long. Ended up moving back to California, and um, probably been in California since I was about three or four years old. Uh, parents ended up getting divorced, didn't work out. Uh, we kind of know how that goes. Right. And um, from there, just um, just kind of just went through life. Um, my parents, my mom and my stepdad got remarried when I was, when I started high school. Okay. And, uh, from then just kind of, uh, ended up kind of, I think our life kind of elevated once we got that other, other figure into the household. So one of my big proponents and one of the big things I talk about is just having that two parent household. But I mean, aside from that, ended up going to college. I went to Cal State San Bernardino where I majored in finance with a minor in accounting. Um, I also was a member of Phi Beta Sigma Fraternity Incorporated, uh, served on the council of the National Panhellenic Council, cool. did all that cool college stuff, um, a member <laughs> of the association, the Encounter Association, all that stuff. And um, yeah, from, from there, took that finance degree, ended up getting a job right out of college, which was a pretty tough thing to do at that point in time. I graduated in 2009 with a degree in finance. Okay. And I, like at that time, I didn't really know how hard it would be. But, um, I mean, that was at the peak of the collapse, if you can call a collapse a peak. But that was at the height of the worst of the worst in finance. And I'm out there working for Edward Jones trying to get people to get back into the market. Right. And, um, so it was tough. It was tough. Um, looking back on what it was, I had a lot of success doing that. I was able to bring in some six-figure clients. And I'm just some young 23-year-old out here in Corona, Orange County area, trying to get people who don't look like me to buy stocks and I was successfully doing it. None of my clients really looked like me, but they were all willing to work with me because of how I presented myself. So, um, that was, that was definitely something good. Great, great, great. So, um, I know you, you went to law school as well too. So tell us about that and what, you know, that time was like with going to law school and finishing that up. That's cool. Yeah, law school is hard. And <laughs> ask me that question. That's the first thing I tell them is law school is hard, right. but it's worth it. It's worth it. And um, I'm reading this book right now called The Subtle Art of Not Giving an F. And right. the thing she always says is it's not what you want. It's what you're willing to struggle for. And law school was something I was willing to struggle for. It was very hard. But I knew that once I got through struggling for what I really wanted, I would be in a place where I was likely untouchable, not because of the JD, but because a lot of people aren't willing to go through what I went through to get a JD. Right. And very, very hard process. I mean, you're talking, there's days I was on campus from eight o'clock until about 11 o'clock. Man, I, getting- <laughs> I feel that struggle, man. Yeah, I'm getting, um, I'm actually getting my PhD in chemistry right now. And um, I'm about, uh, I'm in the dissertation stage right now. So I'm like three months away from graduating. So I totally feel you on that, especially like doing the professional school route. But yeah, no, I definitely feel you on that. It's a whole different beast. But I mean, as you know, it's worth it. And once you get through, I mean, you're untouchable. There's a lot of people that aren't going to want to do what you do. You're going to stand out amongst your peers. And I mean, the struggle is definitely worth it. So, um, I mean, and that's one thing that I always, as I was going through, I realized like, unfortunately, I'm kind of here by myself, mm-hmm. but it doesn't to be like that and I don't want anybody else to come after me to feel like that and right. so what I made a point to do is to turn back and make sure that every single time a 1L came in or I saw a 2L struggling 
I wanted to make sure that that African-American brother who, because I mean, I went to school in Orange County, a lot of classes, I was the only African-American male there. But I know that there's things about law school that are hidden. And maybe they're not intentionally hidden, but they are hidden. Right. And so it's like, it's my job to kind of shed that light for other people going up. And I had a lot of success in doing that. A lot of people that I mentored coming up were able to kind of knock it out the park their first year, get on the dean's list, get on moot court, get on all of those good, uh, law review, all that stuff, just because I made it a personal point to inconvenience myself to bring up somebody. And I think that's one thing that our culture really needs to do. But I mean, law school was hard. It was worth it. And now that I'm done, I definitely can appreciate the fact that it was so hard. Dope. Super dope. Super dope. So how did you create the brand and the persona of Todd Millionaire? Todd Millionaire is something that's kind of morphed into being. And a long time ago, I kind of created the idea of Hunter Todd, actually. And Hunter Todd on Twitter was Hunter Todd Law. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's because I was striving to get through law school. And one thing that I always tell people is that like that name that you call yourself is so important and it's important because it, it kind of creates something for you to strive after. Um, I mean, that's why other cultures, they give their, their kids prominent names. They give them an image to live up to. And so I gave myself an image to look up to. I call myself Hunter Todd law. Nice. And then after I finished law school, I dropped the Hunter Todd, uh, the law aspect. And then I started thinking like, you know, as I was going through law school, I had to kind of shed a lot of my finance Mm -hmm. because that's one of the things that makes law school so difficult is you can't do anything outside of law school. Mm -hmm. And so I was just super honed in the law school, super honed in the law school. And then after I was done, I was like, you know what? I'm good at finance and I'm good at law. I should probably bring back this finance piece. And so then I was like, okay, well, how can I fit the capital in there? Uh, Hunter Todd Capital doesn't really sound that great. Todd Capital sounds good. Okay, cool. Todd Capital. And then... I was just like, you know what? The next level for me is millionaire. So it's like I've gotten through the degrees and what I've kind of figured out is like net worth is kind of like those benchmarks. So a lot of times we see degrees as benchmarks. We see, okay, I have my bachelor's. Okay, I have my master's. Okay, I have my whatever. And so what I've done is I've essentially kind of set that millionaire standard as something to strive after and chase after and become educated on. If you look at my house, I bought like four or five books that are just focused on becoming a millionaire because I need to study that craft just like I study how to get through law school, just like study how to get through all those other things that I've studied how to get through. So um, it's kind of like the next bench, next benchmark, and it, it's kind of become a foregone conclusion, in my opinion. Man, that's a very, very great way of breaking that down. And, you know, it, it kind of goes along with uh, I talked about in a previous podcast where like every five to seven years, we should be reinventing ourselves. And, you know, degrees are, are a pretty good benchmark to, you know, compare that to. And because it's going to take you somewhere between three to seven years to get another degree, especially, you know, if you're doing bachelor's and the master's into some kind of professional track. So, no, that is very excellent. Very. And it's, it's important to have that mindset, too. And, and for people to realize that, you know, the energy you put out there, especially in your name is going to take you to where you want to go. So now that is very, very good information. Um, so what are some of the economic based things that you teach with Todd capital? That's a good question. Um, and it's so crazy because I mean, in a while we had a debate kind of going amongst the founders of that, of that kind of entity is do we want it to be a finance school or do we want it to be a business school? And, I mean, everything that I, I do comes from a book and a long time ago, and it, it might still exist, but Booker T. Washington had a, a, a school of business. And in that school of business, he taught people basic skills so that they can get jobs and they can get employment. And so one of the conversations that I have with my mom is there's so much, my mom is a CPA for the, uh, just 
it's, she's a certified public accountant, which means she works with estates, trusts, tax returns, audits, financial statements, all of that stuff. Okay, and cool. so with with her, my mom and I never have a shallow conversation. Every time I talk to my mom, it's on some deep stuff. Like we don't have BS conversations. We're not talking about people. We're talking about progress. And so she was saying, even today, she was like, you know, there's all this information that I want to get out to the people that's regarding trust or that's regarding estates that they probably wouldn't know regarding like estate planning. And so Thai Capital, it's not just stocks, bonds, ETFs, REITs. It is that. And that's super important. And I think that people have to understand that you have to know basic financial principles as far as stocks and investing. We also have something that is going to touch on personal finance, budgeting, paying off credit, keeping and maintaining your credit. Uh, life insurance, anything that I think is going to allow African-American culture to kind of further themselves, which is a lot of things that other cultures already teach their own people and their, and their kids growing up is what I want to implement, man. So um, whether it's financial advising, looking at how to diversify their stock portfolio, looking at how to analyze a chart, looking at how to look at forks, we're kind of bringing it all to the table. A lot of it, I mean, the initial thrust right now is the actual uh, investing one-on-one masterclass, and that's been doing very well. Um, we had like maybe over like 500 people that got on board when we were doing it for free. Nice. And we're charging for it. And I mean, we have to charge just because, I mean, one of the things we did is we upgraded our platform. And when we upgrade our platform, we can bring more value to our customers and our clients. And right. so, um, I mean, it's, it's, it, we can't do everything for free, although we wish we could. And we do provide a lot of soft, uh, a lot of um, content for free. I mean, I have a blog. I'm always throwing out just different things, different kind of uh, takes on the market for free. We have the investment club that's 100% free. I have my podcast that's for free. And so we kind of balance it out with giving free content with also kind of charging to pay the bills. So to kind of give you the, the short answer is anything that's finance and business related, we're going to touch on. We're going to get to the people because I think that my people need it, man. That's legit. That's legit. Yo, plug your podcast for a little bit. Tell us about um, some of the things that you talk about on your podcast. Um, it's the I think it's called the Top Millionaire Millionaire Podcast, correct? It's the Todd Capital Millionaire Podcast. And Todd Capital is the company. Todd Capital is the sponsor. So I always want to put my company out there. Um, the Millionaire Podcast is just kind of helping people kind of get that millionaire mindset. And so anything that we ever talk about is about business and finance and investing. Just because, in my opinion, I think that business and investing are the true keys to financial wealth mm-hmm. and generational wealth. We struggle so much because we want to be employees. We want to be great employees, but you can't pass on your job. Your kids can't inherit your job. Nobody can benefit from your job except for you. And I always tell my mom that. And a lot of times people sell themselves short because think about it. If you are a doctor, not a doctor, if you are an attorney and you work at a firm and they pay you $100,000 a year, but they're billing you out at $300,000 a year, they pocket that $100,000, another $100,000 goes towards whatever. And so I always tell people that like it, you have to mind your own business. You have to be a business owner. And so for the most part, everybody that comes in that podcast is a business owner. A lot of successful investors. We've had people who manage Forex. We've had people who um, have their own whatever kind of business. So it's really just about highlighting successful African-American business owners and investors. It's kind of like what I always say. There's so much great people that aren't entertainers and athletes, but we don't know they exist. But that's where the true money is, man. Right. There's who you don't even know exists, who has 10 times more money than LeBron James. Right. But you know him. And there's somebody who's African-American who had 10 times more money than LeBron James, but you never know him because they hide those stories. Because if you really knew the power that was inside of you as somebody who could go out there and create wealth, there would be nothing stopping you. And so that's that's really what it is. It's kind of like what Ebony Magazine did. It's like you see all these negative images on TV of 
of thugs and gangsters and bees and hoes and all this like negative imagery of the of, of us and i want to show there's a lot of us out there doing great things and people need to see it because if it's if somebody else is already doing it then you can do it too man <laughs> this interview is already just straight gasoline like you just you drop so much information just within the 20 minutes we've been talking this is really really good information i hope everybody that's listening is soaking this up right now so speaking of, you know, your platform and you trying to appeal specifically to um, the black African-American audience. So, you know, black people, for the most part, are taught to kind of use their money as like fun coupons, basically. So how do you think that that's kept black people as a collective weak? And what are some ways that we can get in the mindset of using money as builder tools instead of fun coupons? I'm glad that you asked that question in the sequence that you asked that question. And I've had this conversation on my podcast before, and a lot of it stems down to the media. And what's really crazy about it is I'm reading this book right now called uh, Black American Inc. A Trillion Dollar Nation. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about, yeah, he was talking about how, um, how the media is used to kind of create an image of what a lifestyle is, whereas the real lifestyle looks nothing like what the media is selling you. And the reason why the media sells you that you have to have this phone or this car or this suit or these shoes to live that lifestyle is because they're selling you the lifestyle. So it's like they make it look like what you want and they profit off of it. And what's important about that is that it's all pushed through the media, but African-Americans consume more media than anybody else in the nation. Right. So think okay. about it. We're exposed to more of their marketing. We're exposed to more of their of, of their kind of strategic and their strategies. And they're very good at doing what they do. They spend a ton of money to market and appeal to us and it's been working. And so that is actually why I'm trying to do what I'm doing is I need to get people out there knowing that all that material stuff, I wrote a post that was said, it said, it said possessions are overrated. I work with millionaires. I've seen millionaires. That's what I do. And that's a part of this kind of millionaire quest that I'm on right now is you have to get around millionaires. And when you get around real millionaires, not rap millionaires, not athlete millionaires, because that stuff is fleeting and we've seen it, you see that the guy that I work with, he has a Citizen Eco drive. Mm -hmm. He didn't even buy the watch. For a long time, he was driving a a, a paid-off Lexus. The only reason why he has a brand-new Lexus is because he got into an accident and the lady totaled it and the insurance company bought his brand-new Lexus. Mm -hmm. But the guy's worth $200 million. um, In Orange County, we're looking at some deals right now, and we're looking at a piece of property. And we found this piece of this deal that I'm working on. It's kind of top secret, but essentially it's this $1.8 million piece of just land mm. right in front. And so I did a title search. I found out who owned it. I Googled the guy who owned it. And it's just this average guy who just owns a house. And what you'll see is that the average real, real millionaire doesn't live like what you think the average real millionaire looks right. like. It's keeping us from actually getting to the point that we can actually be real millionaires is we're trying to look like millionaires. And looking like millionaires is going to keep you from getting to be a millionaire. And the last thing I want to touch on, and I was thinking about this today, is that um, it's really easy to look like you have money. If you want to lease a car, you can go lease a car. If you want to lease a house, you can go lease a house. You can look like you have money. And I think it's made that way for a reason because it's a trap. And once they get you into that looking like money trap, you can never get into actually being wealthy and having wealth. So it's like, for me, I think that in regards to the fun coupons, we're just buying what we're being sold. And I think people have to stop being so sla- uh, so slavish and so susceptible to the media. And one thing that really scares me is, I mean, even with the most recent election is like a lot of the way people feel about Donald Trump or Hillary was really what the media sold them. It had nothing 
facts were. It's like, you don't know Donald Trump. You never had a conversation with Donald Trump. All you know is what somebody sold you, what somebody packaged together and then put onto the internet and people just follow it like, I don't know, like they just follow it like blindly and it's scary because I mean, that's how they get us in so many ways. That's how they got a situation where there's no men in the household. That's how they got the situation where like every situation that we're in that's negative isn't because it's our natural state. It's because we've been sold into thinking that way. Gems, <laughs> man, like you just touched on so many ills and like in five minutes or less, like that, that's like the problem with black. If, if there was an elevator speech for what is going on in the black community, that's wrong. That's it. That's the five minute elevator speech right there was from that question. I hope y'all paying attention. So one of the things I was reading about with um, the investment firm is that y'all are heavy in the real estate. So talk about um, real estate and why it's one of the best things to invest in and how does it correlate to stopping gentrification? Because I know that gentrification has been a pretty hot topic, especially when you talk about, you know, places in New York like Brooklyn, like Brooklyn's getting pretty gentrified. There are places in Atlanta that are getting pretty gentrified with basically just this influx of new people coming in. So talk about how investing in real estate is pretty, I mean, it's one of the best things to invest in and it also correlates to the problems of gentrification that we have in the black community? So it's a lot to answer. Um, but the first thing that I'll say is the reason why I'm interested in real estate is because it allows you to invest in a larger scale. It allows you to tap into leverage. And I think that when you tap into leverage, what people, people, they learn this in school is that leverage allows you to kind of lift things heavier than you would if you were just operating your soul, soul of and so an example of that is if you have, let's say, $10,000 you have $10,000 and you can invest that $10,000, you can make six to 8%. So you're going to make 60 bucks. What is that 60 bucks? It's 60 bucks. But if you invest it in real estate, you take that $10,000 and then you put that into a $100,000 property, then your 6% becomes $6,000. And so once you start amplifying that and you get it out there and you start looking at larger numbers, it's like the law of large numbers. When you look at investing on a large scale, because you have to realize that when you're investing, you're not going to be doubling and tripling your money. What you're going to see is, and what I've experienced is you'll get about six to 8%, maybe about 10 to 12%. Anything more than that is rare. I mean, short term over long term, three, four years, you'll see that. But you have to really look at that. If you're playing the game of inches, you need to amplify your interest through leverage. And so, um, I mean, another point is just that they're not making any more land. So we all know that. They're not making any more land. So that means that what happens is land increases in value. So, um, I mean, a lot of it's strategic. And I mean, just for me, it was kind of like the next step. I've invested in stocks for so long. It's easy to get into stocks. You don't have to have a lot of money with the way the internet works these days. You can open, open up a brokerage account. They have free brokerage accounts now where you can just invest through Robinhood. So that's easy. And so I'm trying to level up my investment strategy and invest on a larger scale and really start to develop our communities. Because one thing that I've realized is a lot of times the reason why we struggle is because we don't invest in ourselves. And so, I mean, investing in yourself can come in a lot of different ways. It can come in um, giving back to the community. But it can also come in the form of creating safer communities. It can come in the form of providing opportunities for people. So it's like real estate is a way that you can invest back. It's like Jay Morrison said, it's like it's not enough to be a real estate developer. You have to be a community developer. And so it's like for me, I've always had a passion of helping my people. And as easy as it would be to turn my back on my people, 
Because in all actuality, I don't live in a predominantly African-American neighborhood. I've never lived in a predominantly African-American neighborhood. I've never been to a predominantly African-American school. I've always been the chocolate chip, the spec. <laughs> okay. To, to help my people just because I feel like I've seen a better way, man. And I really am trying to just throw all that things that I've been exposed to and I've learned and I've lived back to my people. So, I mean, real estate, in my opinion, it's kind of common sense, like, um, I could give you an example of the deal that we're working on. And, um, so essentially what we're, it's, <laughs> I'm probably giving away the game, but <laughs> okay. we're looking to, um, develop these lots in, um, in Huntington beach. Okay. And so what you do is you buy these lots for like $1.8 million. And then you probably invest maybe about $5,000 or 5 million into the development, but then we can sell it out for 10 million. Right. And so we do is we end up netting like $4.8 million and I'll probably walk away with maybe like 10% of that. And so that's one deal that I'm working on. And the reason and the way I got, I learned how to do that is just by reading the newspaper. I have a millionaire mentor. He's heavy into real estate. He doesn't even touch the stock market. He's just like, Hey, I just invest in real estate and I've seen some amazing things. I work in a private office, which is essentially a high net worth family. The guys work over 200 million. And what they do is they only deal in real estate because I mean, over the long term, you're going to make a ton of money in real estate just because you're leveraged and the appreciation is so high on your leverage that you just make a ton of money. And so another example is that um, I was reading about this deal where the guy, he bought this Newport Peach property for like five million, invested another five million, sold it for 20 million, he net 10 million. And so my strategy right now is to look for high income or to look for high opportunity markets where people already want to live. And that's the struggle with investing is that you want to help your people, but you also need to find where the demand is. Right. And so I've kind of targeted the area of Newport Beach just because I know people want to live there. And so if I create a great product and a place people already want to live, I already have a built-in seller's market. Right. And then what I can use is I can take those millions and then I can pour it back into the community. And it's like it's kind of like a reverse of what they do to us, how they go to us and they dig all the, the resources and they put it into their community. Now we're kind of doing it back. But since the property there is valued so much, the profits we can pull out of Newport Beach and Orange County will go so much more further in, in South Central LA. Got you, got you, got you. So how, I guess the best way to ask this question is, so you're basically using your leverage in the high income communities to kind of funnel that money back into the low income communities like you just mentioned was South Central LA. So I guess that ties into the importance of using real estate and neighborhood growth as a tool to protect your community. So like, what does that typically look like if you're already in a low income neighborhood? So let's say for a second that you were investing specifically in just South central. So how would mm -hmm. you go about what, how would you go about doing the real estate in that area to make sure that you've created a system where you can, uplift the community on a real estate level but you can also keep people that may come in and want to destabilize the community out that's a good question and it's kind of multifaceted and what i'll say is that the first thing that we need to do is make sure that we're owning in our community and i think that's one of the reasons why we lose in gentrification isn't because the neighborhood is being redeveloped or the the properties are being increased in value. It's because we don't own the properties that are going to be increased by association. Right. Because what happens is if you own the property and there's other property owners coming in that are increasing the value, then your values increase. Now, the problem is we don't own. So the property values don't increase. What happens is the rent increases. Right. 
when you rent, you lose. And so what I've what I've kind of told people and one of the things I was thinking about as we go along here is that like one of the problems with not owning is that when you own a piece of property, your mortgage doesn't increase over time. Assuming that you don't have a, uh, an adjustable rate mortgage, most people are going to get a fixed rate mortgage about three, four, uh, three to four percent. And so your mortgage is stable. And so the beauty of that is usually your income grows. And so there's this gap where your income grows and your mortgage stays the same. And so one of the problems is people will move and they'll upgrade. So as long as you stay consistent and you stay with where you live now and you just stay content, that's one of Dave Ramsey's principles of wealth is the first principle of wealth is content. Be content with what you have and then just continue to increase your income. Because after a while, your income increases and your expenses either dissipate or they just stay the same. Right. So I think that we have to own. But what also we need to do is we need to make sure that we're passing along property and assets to our heirs, responsible heirs, too. And so it's like people have to be serious. It's like you can't you can't be some dumb dumb who gets an inherited property, sells the property and then cries about gentrification. Yeah. It's like people do to themselves. So. Yeah. I don't, oh, man, that's <laughs> I'm just saying, like, as much as I'm like trying to interview, I'm just sitting here listening to this. Just like, yo, this is like this is opening up a whole new world for me, because like I said, I'm a scientist, so like I haven't actually delved into all the finance stuff, but I do understand that, you know, economic base is square one for any community mm -hmm. to protect itself. That's just been shown like time and time again. So, you know, that's man, that's great, great information. Um, but one that I want to touch on and I didn't get a chance to get there is the next step is if you are going to sell your property, you have to make sure that you're selling to an African-American real estate investor. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I say that is the same exact reason why Asians do business with Asians, why white people do business with white people, why Jews do business with Jews, is because they have each other's best interest at heart. And an example of that is where I was working and still kind of am working on a deal in San Francisco, or Oakland. And this young lady approached me with this deal. It's a duplex with a basement that could potentially be refinished and probably a garage that can be redone. I need to circle back to that deal. But one of the things that she was concerned with is she had a long-term tenant who was African-American who, if they sold it to an investor that wasn't black, of course, would want to kick the guy out so they can scale up all the rents to market rate. Because what he was paying was like maybe half of market rate. I'm not sure if you're, I'm not sure if you're familiar with like uh, San Francisco real estate, but it's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. I was, in, I was in San Francisco like maybe like a year ago, and everything's more expensive. The champagne's more expensive. The dinners are more expensive. Yeah. Just crazy out there. But um, the person who was selling it was African-American and she wanted to make sure her tenant was taken care of. And so I'm over here thinking of a deal where I might make a little bit less money, but I'll be able to help this man stay where he wanted to stay and still sell the two top units at full market rate. Right. But the average person isn't going to do that. They want to maximize as much money as they can get out of that deal. So what we have to be is very conscious and cognizant of what we're doing in our communities and not just doing something to make a quick buck and willing to sacrifice so that in the long term, our heirs can win. Because a lot of times what we do is we only focus on ourselves, we only focus on what's in it for us. And in doing so, we lose and we, we, we kind of give our heirs the middle finger. And it's not fair because, I mean, you look at DJ Khaled and everything DJ Khaled is for his son. And what you don't realize is when you do things for your heirs, you become bigger and you become better. So it's like people have to stop being so selfish because when you're selfish, you just stay small, man. So. <laughs> Yo, this is 
so just great 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 information great information yeah no i definitely feel you on that as far as like you know leaving something behind for you know our our heirs and, and you know our children because um what was the guy's name stefan stefan uh green i had him on um his episode dropped this week and he was saying that you know claude anderson was talking about racism being a team sport where you know people may not think about you know it in that term of oh we just want to be racist it's like no like you said they have their best interests at heart and i think that you know that's kind of lost on us a little bit so like you said people will take that route of just wanting to make a quick buck versus just trying to secure wealth and being able to pass it down to future generations so yeah no that's, that's great go ahead thing that i've said before is i've said that like people aren't against you they're really just for themselves right. and if you have children the the upstanding person will want to make sure that child is taken care of unfortunately sometimes in the african-american community that doesn't happen but one thing that i, I do want to say and one thing that i realized when i was working at chase private client is that a lot of things that i say in regards to leaving money to your heirs and making sure you have an estate plan and making sure that you're taking care of future generations isn't something i'm just pulling out of my ass it's things that i've seen done like the firm that I work for, the man, he actually, we, we're in the bottom floor. And so the man is the father. And what he did is he brought his son on. And so the whole business that he created, he just brought his son into the business. And if you look upstairs, his other son runs the other business. And then if you look at um, when I used to work in banking, I would see all these Asian accounts. And Asian father accounts will be linked to his son and his daughter. And they would never lack because the father just always had bread in the account to take care of everybody. And then in turn, the kids are going to do the same thing for their kids. So, I mean, a lot of the things that I say, they might seem kind of hypothetical and they might seem sense, but everybody's doing it. Right. We can either not do it and lose or we can do it and run alongside with them. But that's a choice. And if you make a choice to not do it, then you have to live with the results and the consequences. And you can't complain when it hurts. Right, right, exactly, exactly. Hey, man, just like my parents used to say, a hard head make a soft ass. So <laughs> if you're not paying attention to what's going on in other communities when they're doing well, it's just like you're just doomed to repeat the same things, man. Dope, dope information. So um, talk about the real estate investment fund that you got linked up with um, Todd, Camp Todd Capital. How did you get that started? And basically tell everybody, like, what's the criteria to be a part of that real estate fund? Cool. So – how I got it started is I just did it. Okay. And, and that's one thing that I've just, I've always done is I just do it. And so right now we have like 15 members. Um, we're still in the process of getting our first property. We're still tr figuring out the logistics of having 15 members getting one property. But I think that we're honing in on what we're going to do. Um, we have some cash set aside. We have um, a ton of backing and support. So um, we've kind of honed in on the area. I think that once we find that area that we're really going to dominate, then it's a matter of just accumulating more and more properties. So right now we're looking at the area of Lancaster, uh, also looking at some properties in Las Vegas and um, some properties in Atlanta. And the reason why we like Vegas is, of course, because the Raider Stadium is coming in and they're also doing a ton of development in that area. And there's a lot of undervalued properties compared to California where everything is overvalued right now, in my opinion. I don't think it's sustainable. And so... Um, the way I got it started is I just did it and I've just kind of tweaked it and refined it and it's improving every day it goes. In fact, we just did a, uh, we just refined it even more today. And what we did is we kind of created a select group of general partners. And so the way it's structured is we have general partners at the top and we have limited partners at the bottom. The limited partners are our equity backing. And so they're providing all a lot of the funding for the down payment and everything. The general partners are going to structure the financing. Okay. And that's what we would have never been able to even really get done if we wouldn't have gotten this far. So 
Um, it's so much more, I mean, the real estate firm as opposed to the investment firm is completely different because the real estate firm, you put the money and you buy the stocks. And so we're, it would seem like we're years ahead with the, with the investment firm as we are the equity firm, but they, the two work hand in hand. And one of the things that I was telling Doe Dubes is that we have so much cash in our investment portfolio that we can pull out equity from that investment portfolio and invest it alongside the real estate group. So the two start working hand in hand. One thing I've always told people is like when you have cash, your cash goes so much further than when you just have an idea. So it's like if we have 100 grand, that 100 grand is now a million dollars. We can do crazy damage with a million dollars. But if you never have the 100 grand, if you never have it set aside, then you can't do anything. And not only that, our 100 grand still stays invested in the stock market. We're still uh, investing and making strides that way. So it's like, it's kind of like a cheat code, man. <laughs> and when you start doing the right things, it's kind of like Kiyosaki says, it's like, the, the government and the tax code is built to actually benefit business owners and investors, and it's, it's meant to punish employees. Right. So become a business owner and investor. And I mean, that's just where we did it. The, the thing is to, to, to do it. We don't have all the answers. I'll never have all the answers, but I'm doing it, and I'm going to figure them out as I, as I go along. That's what's up. That's what's up. Yeah, I mean, you just got to get out there and just got to get it started. <laughs> I mean, people want to yeah. sit up there and bump gums, but at the end of the day, you just got to do work. Exactly. And as far as the criteria goes, I mean, the criteria is, is if you have money, you want to invest. Um, that's one thing that I've done, even with the actual investment club, is we have a $25 membership. And I've, I've, been, I've even told people like, hey, invest what you can, because my goal is to shift the culture. And I'm trying to do that in so many different ways, but not a way that I'm just teaching you, because a lot of times people will teach you, but they won't do it with you. And so what we're doing is we're doing it with you. So you participate in all the group chats, all the conference calls, all the podcasts, because we're trying to teach people and we're trying to shift a complete mindset of what we discussed early in the podcast, which is just we just spend money because it's fun. So I think that um, I just I just want people involved. I want people to kind of start thinking along those lines of being a business owner and an investor. Dope, dope, dope. So let's say, you know, you have a limited income. Um, for example, let's say you get like a hundred to three hundred dollars of non-committal income a month. You just do whatever you want to with. What would be the best way to invest that? Uh, whether it's in like stocks, real estate, like what what would be some some easy ways to invest that money into something? So I think that um, the best way is a way that I was actually going to speak to in regards to um, combating gentrification. Okay. And I think that people really have to tap into the power of crowdfunding and teamwork. Uh, one of the pillars of my company is that business and investing are a team sport and that we need to start functioning as a bunch of members of a team, members of the hand, fingers on the hand, not just a bunch of individuals because individuals lose. And what you'll realize is that other cultures don't do it by themselves either, man. Like <laughs> they don't. And I think the reason why we've been kind of pushed to be individuals is they know like it's divide and conquer right. when they divide amongst um, aside from your people, you're easy to conquer. So I think that you have to get involved in something kind of like what we created, which I think we created because we know for the most part, some African-Americans don't have a ton of money. Right. And so I've done it. I've done the, Oh, let's, Hey, do you, and if, if you, if we really want to be honest, like, the original club that I started was $1,000 to get in. And I realized people don't just have $1,000 to get in, but they do have 100 bucks, and they can pay that 100 bucks over months. And before you know it, our members have $1,000. Right. So I think that it's just being consistent, being persistent, 
sacrificing that hundred bucks for the greater good. If you have to, you can find a hundred bucks easy. People spend a hundred bucks on a dinner. You can spend a hundred bucks on the half of a dinner. Right. If you're going to Morton's or Fleming's. So I think that a way to do it, especially if it's somebody who's like a newbie or a novice is to get involved in a club and there's clubs everywhere. Um, there's even uh, sites out there that are called uh, like uh, realty share. If you can invest in real estate. Also, what's also a good idea is to invest in REITs which is real estate investment trust, usually they're ETFs. And you can just buy those and invest in those over time. If you invest, if you open up like a dollar cost average account, they'll let you invest like a hundred bucks per month. And so there's so many ways to get involved. It's just a matter of doing it. And I always say it's, it's just doing it. People can talk about it. They can find the best way, but I'd rather you find the best way after you've done it wrong five times, or if you're like five, five steps in five months into doing it the wrong way, than to just never do anything, hoping that you'll figure out the very best way. But I mean, if I can plug myself, I think that my investment club is probably one of the better ways just because, I mean, you can invest 100, you can invest 25, you can invest more, you can not invest this month, you can double up next month. We're so flexible for our members because I just want people involved. I have people who don't even invest and they just follow along just because we want people involved. Right. We want people in that conversation. We don't want people just under a rock looking for what they can buy next. Legit, legit. Yeah, that's that's. That's great. Great information. Great information. So you talk about a lot about like the books that you read and the people that, you know, you kind of look up to you and the people that you kind of get your game from. So who are three to five black people that you think we should know about when it comes to economics and investing? The very first person I think that you need to know about in regards to business and investing is myself. Okay. <laughs> okay. Not to be arrogant, but... No, plug yourself. I, plug yourself. I ain't mad at it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that my goal and what I've seen and what I've been exposed to is so unique because, I mean, I've grown up in a finance family. Um, from there, I've worked in great firms. I've seen what I need to see. I still work in a great firm, seeing what I need to see. And not only that, I have the legal knowledge as well. So I have this unique crossover where I can relate on an investment level and on a legal level. Right. Um, also, I probably read more books than I can even name. I I don't know. But um, in regards to just being exposed to people, and I think that the reason why we have so many people trying to be athletes and entertainers or settling and thinking that they can't do anything but sell drugs is because they don't know. First and foremost, that selling drugs makes you an entrepreneur. So if you can sell something illegal, you can sell something legal. Right. And you start to look at um, people who have already done it. And I think that's one of the, the things that people don't realize is like for me, I just need to see somebody who's done it before. And if they've done it before, that means I can do it. So I've keyed in on people like Reginald Lewis. Um, and to give you a kind of quick idea of Reginald Lewis, he actually is uh, an attorney who went to Harvard and ended up starting his own firm. And then from there, he started acquiring companies. And what people don't realize is acquiring companies is a way of buying income. And I don't, this is another one of the hacks that I'm working on that I, I try not to give too much game away, but essentially what you can do is, is say, for example, you have a hundred grand, you can buy a dry cleaners. This is what Asian people do all the time. You can buy a dry cleaners that actually nets you a hundred thousand dollars. And then what you do is you leverage that hundred thousand dollars. And so you get a bank to pay your hundred thousand dollars. You pay the bank off in five years. You might be paying them like maybe 2000 a month, 3000 a month, maybe even 5,000 a month. And then you're netting five grand a month after five years. It's free cash flow. You're just making a hundred grand a year. And that's just one dry cleaners. And you have two, three, four, and so people have to really get into buying and investing in businesses, actual businesses, not just stocks. And so I've looked at franchises, um, Wingstop franchises, Smoothie King franchises, 
there's money in that, man. There's so much money, like legit money. And people don't realize like business ownership is the true key to wealth. And I'll tell you why, because you can sell a widget a million times over the internet at 1% at $1 profit margin, you made a million dollars, but you only have so many hours in the day. You only have so many hours in a year and they're only going to pay you as much money as they want to pay you. And usually as little as possible, as little to keep you there than as, as they will just to keep you on that job. So you have to get into business for yourself. That's one thing I learned from reading the book, Rich Dad Poor Dad. The next thing, next person would be H.R. Uh, Russell. H.R. Russell is huge to me just because of what he did and the barriers that he broke down just by being great at what he did. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the, the biggest things about Reginald or H.R. Uh, Russell is he was one of the first uh, African-American members of the Black Chamber of the, of the Chamber of Commerce in Atlanta. And he broke down so many barriers just because he was great, not because he went out there and he tried to get people to like him, not because he got people to change laws to make them act like they liked him. He was just dope. And so I always encourage people like, oh, he was in real estate development. He built a ton of apartments. He was able to get government contracts and do all these great things in real estate in Atlanta and really build up the area. But I always tell people, like, stop trying to protest and get people to like you. Just be dope and people will like you, period. Right. So that's one other person. Another person would be A.G. Gaston. Um, A.G. Gaston started his own insurance company. He was a super hustler, super businessman. And he just was, I think, one of the wealthiest people ever. He was uh, wealthy, one of the wealthiest African-Americans of his era. Um, I read about him in the book. Black Titan, everybody, every single one of these people that I'm naming, I read about in the book, by the way. I read a book called Building Atlanta, which is where I learned about H.R. Russell. I read a book about um, uh, why should white guys have all the fun. That's how I learned about Reginald Lewis. Right. And that book, Titan, is how I learned about A.G. Gaston. Um, and the last person would be Jeremiah Wright. And he, I'm not sure if you know him, he was the first millionaire, African-American millionaire on Wall Street. And the way, what's great about him is that he was able to become a, be- a millionaire when slavery was legalized. Right. <laughs> and so, like, I always tell people, like, all these guys went through something, man. And so it's like, if we have none of those barriers, but we're still not doing it, then we really have no excuse not to be great. And so I share those stories just to show that not only can we do it, but we were able to do it when it was a million times more difficult. So let's get on the good foot. And I mean, the great thing is I'm seeing a lot happening, man. I'm so happy to see like all the African-American entrepreneurship that I'm seeing on Instagram in person. I have a lot of colleagues that I went to college with that are doing some great things in business. So shout out to them. Um, and shout out to J&B Popcorn. Shout out to uh, Magic Hair Company. Shout out to um, all those guys that are doing good business in South LA too, Hawkins House of Burgers. A lot of great African-American owned business that have fantastic products. And that's one of the things that I've learned just in working with the black business on the weekends is it's not about getting somebody to support you because you're a black business, you got to have the best product. And Hawkins House of Burgers, in my opinion, has the best product. And she knows that. And I think that's why she not only appeals to the African-Americans, but she brings in, honestly, that business that I work with on the weekends brings in more of its money from Hispanics and white people than it does from the, from the African-Americans in the community. The African-Americans are the core, don't get me wrong. And they would definitely, they need those people. But I think that when you do good business and you have a great product, it breaks barriers, right, man. Right, right. Man, (laughs) I'm just like, yo, I'm just seeing gym after gym after gym after gym. And I'm just like, yo, I'm definitely going to have to come back and listen to this episode at least five or six times just to get all this information, man. Yo, Charles, thank you so much for coming on. This has been extremely informative. Before I let you get up out of here, I got one last question for you. So what's the biggest thing that you've learned about yourself from starting Todd Capital? 
the biggest thing that I learned is that all things are possible. And that's my motto. That's my mantra. Because when I wanted to start this, there were so many people that told me that I can't do it. They told me that it can't work. They told me why it can't work. And I just did it anyway. And you realize that as you're, it's like the, it's like they said, the people will stop you before you get started, but they won't stop you as you're going. So as I'm going, I've been able to bring on a lot of people that were initially doubters to actually be supporters and partners and helping me make this happen. But another thing that I found is just to stay in your niche, man. Um, I have so much experience in finance, so much experience in investing, and it just makes sense for me to stay in my lane because when I stay in my lane, I start spotting opportunities within that lane. So, I mean, I can write a blog post every day just because I live finance. As soon as I wake up, I'm turning Bloomberg on. As I'm going home, I'm either reading a book about it, listening to a book about it. So it's like when you stay in your lane, you can dominate your lane and you get protection from that lane. If you're out there selling T-shirts, the next person can bring up and he can start selling T-shirts. If you're out there selling whatever that's not specialized, then anybody can hop in your lane. So I think that, I mean, doing business is great. Doing black business is great. But you also have to kind of stay in your lane, dominate your lane. And you kind of niche to get rich. And so my niche is just finance, and it allows me to do so much, whether it's crowdfunding, whether it's real estate, whether it's Forex, whether it's um, whatever the heck I want to start, I can start. So, I mean, there's so much that I've learned, so much that I'm still learning. But I think that, I mean, all things are possible. There's no limits. There's no boundaries. Um, you can You can do whatever you put your mind to, man. Niche to get rich, yo. That's <laughs> that's definitely something I'm I'm keeping after this cast, man. Niche to get rich. That's super catchy and super super applicable. I like that. I like that. Yo, tell us about what you got going on. Tell people where you can find where they can find you on social media. Any kind of books. Talk about your podcast. Anything that you got going on that you want to plug yourself on. Let the people know how they can find you and link up with you. Cool. So first and foremost, you can find me at. Uh, Instagram and Twitter, Top Millionaire. That's T-O-D-D, Millionaire. Man, I'm so active on the internet. I'm so active on social networks. You can find me on LinkedIn, Charles L. Oglesby, the third JD, Facebook, same name, of course. Um, we have the investment school, so Todd University. Right now, we're doing the investment 101, the master class. And for anybody who actually took the free class, what we're doing now is so much more on a higher level. I mean, we thank you all who did the free class, but right now it's next level stuff. I mean, you get access to the instructor. You, know, you get question and answer sessions. We have the book that we're releasing. We have the actual workbook. We're giving the slides away, and you get a consultation with the actual investment advisor. So we're doing so much just with the university and plan on expanding that. Plan on working on Todd Capital Conference, which is going to be a Black Wealth Conference. Um, I'm, write, I'm writing a book right now, Investment 101. Of course, we have the Todd Capital Investment Club right now. We have 75 members. The goal is to at least get to 100, and then we're trying to shoot for 1,000. Man, I want every single person under the, under the sound of my voice to be investing with this club, not just because we're buying stocks, but because in, eventually we're going to be buying actual cash-flowing assets. And so, I mean, like I said, we're buying businesses, we're buying stocks, and so my goal is to get people returns they'll never see just investing in stocks, in addition to the returns they'll get in stocks. Also, if you're interested in joining our Todd Acquisitions Real Estate Club, we have that going on. Um, that's booming. We're definitely going to be making some money there. I mean, my goal is just to make everybody millionaires. They said that if you want to become a billionaire, make a bunch of a bunch of people millionaires. My goal is to make all my people rich, wealthy, well-off because, I mean, I just feel like it's my duty. Success is my duty. So um, we have all those things going on. If you want to contact me, you can reach me at info at capitaltodd.com. That's the business email. If you want to reach me on a personal level, you can email me at charles.oglesby 
at gmail.com. Excellent, excellent. Charles, thank you again for coming on the cast, man. Really appreciate it. Yeah, man. Thank you for having me. All right, cool. So that'll be the end of the interview. Yo, man. <laughs> I am just sitting here in awe. That was, yo, that was crazy. That was crazy, man. Yo, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on, man. That was, yo, like, I'm going to have to go back. I'm definitely going to have to go back and listen to that, like, several times, man. It's definitely some good information, and I really, really appreciate that. Um, You got any questions or anything like that? So I didn't know that you were on the GPM, which is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Um, So after, oh, man, um, I think it was after my fourth episode, uh, Chris sent me a DM. And uh, he was like, yeah, check your episode out. It's pretty good. And that was actually, like, it was actually the same night. I had interviewed um, Dubes for a cast, and he was talking about gardening. And, um, mm-hmm. yeah, so I just linked up with him, and, you know, he was like, yeah, if you want to join the network, man, we got something good going on. I was like, all right, cool. <laughs> Let's do it. So, so yeah, man, no, I'm on GPN, too, man. So, so yeah, man, no, it's it's been pretty good as far as, like, you know, getting the cast out there and, and getting people on that I want to you know get people used to seeing success like especially with you like this is one of the reasons i wanted to have you on was because i know that you're just a regular dude and like you're a regular dude that's you know doing extraordinary things and i want people to get out of the mindset that you know like you said earlier with people like lebron like we only think that sports and you know entertainers and things like that. That's the only like mark of success. But it's like, man, there's so many regular dope people out here doing regular dope stuff. And I want people to see that so that they don't get discouraged and they don't feel like, you know, just so they can kill all the oppression talk. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, so yeah, no, it's yeah. definitely been great so far. All right. So, yeah, that was one of the reasons I wanted to work with GPN is just because I feel like we need to kind of, like, work together to build something instead of working apart to just a whole bunch of small things. So right, right. The more success he gets, the more success we all get. Right. No, so, I feel the exact same way. feel the exact same way. I know you're on the East Coast. I don't want to hold you up. Yeah, man. <laughs> man, it's calling my name. But, yeah, no, I'll, <laughs> um, I'll get this episode edited, send in to Chris. And I'll probably get it sent in to him sometime in this week. But like I said, your episode will probably be on within the next two to three weeks. So I'll give you a heads up before it's about to come out. It's cool if I upload that recording as well. All right, cool, cool, cool. All right, man, take it easy. I know you have a you have a time. Go ahead, say again. All right, you too. All right. Um, it's a lag on this thing, right? I'm not sure whether it's a lag. Yeah, no, I can kind of.